Hi everyone, I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Guozhong Xiao, acting instructor in the Division of Nephrology at the University of Washington, and Dr. Anna Scott, director of the Biochemical Genetics Laboratory at Seattle Children's Hospital. Dr. Xiao and Dr. Scott recently joined us for a webinar where they discussed the development of an osmotic membrane for use in a portable hemodialysis device and its validation using amino acid analysis to quantify urea removal. Let's jump right in. I would like to know what chemical species other than amino acids are characterized in the lab. Beyond amino acids, I think one of our other highest volume tests with pretty high accuracy and precision is measurement of acyl carnitines. So these are, are medium and short chain free fatty acids that are conjugated to a carnitine molecule for transport in and out of cells, primarily heading to the mitochondria for ATP production. I'd say from a, a quantitation standpoint, that's our other big test. Actually, when I I was wondering if you might be referring to other chemicals we can see on the HPLC analyzer. So I, I want to just touch on this briefly. We can see a variety of medications, mostly antibiotics. Quantification of these gets a little bit hairier because we don't have calibration curves established, but there is always the possibility for a research collaboration where if there's a, a compound of interest that might be detected or that I, I know is detected in one of our methods, but is not routinely quantified as part of clinical care or management, maybe because it's not relevant or there, there's other things that are more interesting for, again, a management perspective, that doesn't mean it's not possible to set something up. So what I've what I've really enjoyed about the biochemical genetics laboratory is our ability to kind of adapt and sometimes even react to specific questions, even that happen for our patients. Because we deal with rare disease, every patient can have kind of a different story going on. So sometimes even if we can't report a, a hard number, we can do essentially side experiments, a slightly different extraction of a patient sample to try to understand what's happening. I'm thinking of an example where there was a very rare enzyme defect that created amino acid dimers, dipeptides, that we didn't have calibration curves for, but having a much better clinical question that actually came from exome results, we were able to do this really intensive acid hydrolysis treatment of the patient sample and break apart all of those dipeptides to turn them back into free amino acids, which we then could quantify and that process was basically able to confirm the diagnosis. So we have some room to play, which is a lot of fun. Fantastic. Great answer. And Anna, I just wanted to follow that up with another question here. If there are groups here that want to contact you to enter into a collaborative partnership, how might they go about doing that? Sure. Well, for me specifically, best way is to reach out by email. I think some of my contact information is, is publicly available through the Outward Facing Seattle Children's website, but I'm not the only biochemical geneticist. And 
I, I like to think I was able to highlight that even if free amino acids are, are not necessarily relevant to your research, there may be clinical laboratory testing that could be helpful. And so I would encourage anyone who is, has need of high precision, high accuracy quantification of, of analytes to check out the test menus of a local institution, many core lab functions. So uh, Dr. Andy Hoofnagels over at the University of Washington, and I believe he offered glucose quantification calcium quantification. Like there's all kinds of stuff that is measured to monitor patients' electrolytes and physiology and critical illness. This could be really valuable resources. And again, we have to spend a lot of time and energy making measurements like these reliable and consistent. So I would encourage research labs to use us to your advantage. Reach out to a local hospital laboratory. Oftentimes there's contact information on the web. And even getting into a client services system, you may be able to get rerouted to their clinical chemist or somebody in the laboratory who could connect you for establishing a research collaboration. There should be emails, phone numbers, reach out. We love to, to share what we can do and further research to, to help patients. Fantastic. Yeah, some really great points there. And we can also include Dr. Scott and Dr. Shao's contact information in follow-up emails after the webinar. So in case you want to reach out, provide those. And I also thought that you had a few questions for Guojang. Do you want to ask those now? Absolutely. I was curious to see what are the next steps because your your data here is so promising. What's going to happen to get your device ready for actual use for patients? What's next? We are, thank you for that question. We are doing a bovine blood, full bovine blood test for 24 hours, actually much longer than 24 hours. And we're touching that for a few days. Test. The purpose is to, number one, to confirm the urea removal rate. Number two is to confirm the safety of the device. But that's also a more complicated scenario because coagulations and quantification of the retention salute. And the, another point is that further enhanced efficiency in terms of urea removal. We have shown that through the simulation that urea diffusion to the electrode is limiting its removal rate. And we want to optimize our flow pattern and increase the efficiency and the rate of urea removal and the shrink our device dimension and weight. Yeah, okay, so that all makes sense to make it more portable. Anyway, go ahead, Liam. I'll yeah. let you manage. Yeah. All right. So, Dr. Scott, this one's for you. So, amino acid analysis using ion exchange and anhydrin detection is a well-established technique developed in the 50s. What is your view on the advances of newer technologies, such as LCMS for amino acid analysis? How do they compare with uh, classical AAA analysis? Right. So... I, I kind of alluded to it, and everybody has, uh, I think, differing opinions in the field. LCMAS spec is potentially very powerful. You can make your library of targeted amino acids to detect, but an LC is, LCMAS spec is best when you have, in fact, that targeted library. They're not as good yet, particularly for quantification, for untargeted approaches, and the instruments themselves, they are cranky. They take a lot of love to keep them going. They take a lot of daily, weekly, monthly maintenance, sensitivity. They, they can be extremely sensitive. So I'm thinking about quantification of arginosexenic acid, which is a very rare amino acid, but clinically very significant, even at small levels. So I think a mass spec for amino acid analysis is much better at detecting arginosexenic acid, but the technical expertise needed to 
both develop the initial method and keep it going is something that a lot of smaller labs, particularly like my lab, really just we don't have the resources. We don't have the upfront budget or the personnel to keep that kind of a, an instrument running. Some of our, our colleagues at the big reference labs, so I'm thinking Mayo, ARUP, Quest, and LabCorp, where they get hundreds to thousands of samples a week, that's a really different scale than my team where we get 10 to 20 a, a day. They can then justify the upfront cost. They also have a much bigger lab support team to keep the LCMSs going. But kind of as I alluded to with the previous example of the dipeptides, a tandem mass spec will miss weird stuff going on that's not part of its program. So there's actually a wonderful paper out there about how repeated analysis by tandem mass spec of free amino acids failed to diagnose proletase deficiency because dipeptides are not built into these libraries. It's very rare to see them. And so in that scenario, the classic HPLC um, ion exchange and anhydrin um, amino acid analyzers are the better instrument. You know, our, our cost per sample, once the instrument is set up, I'd say is, is actually a little bit higher, but the upfront cost of the mass spec is pretty daunting. So each have their pros and cons, and I think it really, the technology that is appropriate depends on the needs of the laboratory and the resources of the laboratory. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing. Guojang, this one is for you. So thinking about inborn errors of metabolism, there are uh, patients where dialysis is needed to remove other molecules like ammonia or leucine. Do you think it would be possible to make other two-stage devices to enable selective removal of compounds that could be patient or disease-specific and minimize the loss of those <clears throat> beneficial metabolites? I like that question. There's a, a lot of opportunities there. I think it's definitely po uh, possible when we de uh, develop membranes with new properties that's selective to a new class of me um, molecules. And um, on the other hand, I think the ready system could potentially be uh, readily useful here. As there is already ion exchange materials, we can actually remove the urease from the ready system. We can just leave the ion exchange materials there, um, which will remove ammonia and um, amino acids and other as well. So then obviously you need to back infuse other amino acids and um, electrolytes. Yeah, so that's already the ready system. By removing urease from that system, it already works. And by introducing new membrane, potentially the two-stage system that we are developing could also work. Fantastic. Kojang, this is another one for you. What detection levels do you require for the dialysis investigation in terms of picomoles? It's complicated um, because there, if you go, you really go to the picomole, picomolar region, the list of molecules you can detect can be super long. And we don't want to burden ourselves with quantification of all the chemicals at this stage. And we just, we're just interested in them at most of the top 60 or 70 uremic retention solute. So they are mostly above the millimolar regime. Some of the chemicals are around maybe 0.1 millimolar. Yeah, but we are not going much more than that regime at this stage. There's one exception that ammonium ion, which we need to pay special attention to because ammonium ion is toxic to the patient above 50 micromolar. I hope that answers your question.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.